Chapter 18 Woe to the land of buzzing wings beyond the rivers of Cush, which sends emissaries by sea in swift craft across the water. They say, Go speedily, you messengers, to a people perpetually on the move, a nation dreaded far and wide, people continually infringing whose rivers have annexed their lands. Here there are emissaries sent from Egypt to Assyria, because Assyria is threatening. It's a nation dreaded far and wide. They're an ominous people. They're militaristic. They infringe upon other nations. They annex their lands. And the river imagery is used here as a metaphor and allegory to describe their kind of takeover of other peoples and their countries. And so when the threat looms imminent and ominous, then they try to forestall it by sending emissaries or consuls or ambassadors to try to speak peace with these people. The buzzing wings, too, signifies Egypt, as we saw in chapter 8. The flies, the buzzing flies of Egypt. The buzzing wings is not just literally flies, but it's also all the inhabitants of Egypt. It's a metaphor for the inhabitants of Egypt. Of course, we could say in the modern context that could be airplanes. Yes, it could refer to people, airplanes, literally flies. All you who live in the world, you inhabitants of the earth, verse 3, look to the ensign when it is lifted up in the mountains, heed the trumpet when it is sounded. So the Lord has things in control. All this may be happening in the world, these political maneuvers, a nuclear holocaust or a worldwide conquest by the Assyrians, and horrendous destruction, such as Isaiah and other prophets talk about. But there is another side of the coin. What is the Lord doing? How is the Lord orchestrating history and the deliverance of his people through all of this? It's all part of his design that the wicked should be destroyed in that manner and that the righteous should be delivered out of it. Because there's no deliverance really for the righteous until the wicked are destroyed. Because the wicked are the ones who oppress the righteous. And so long as they're left alive, they will continue to oppress the righteous. So there's no real deliverance. So if God is just, he will deliver the righteous because they are oppressed, they appeal to him, because the wicked don't repent and have chosen this other lifestyle. And this is a worldwide event. All you who live in the world, you inhabitants of the earth. The end sign in the book of Isaiah is the Lord's servant himself. In chapter 11, verse 10, he's the end sign to the nations whom the Lord raises up. Chapters 42 and 49. Lifted up in the mountains, the mountains being a metaphor for nations. He the trumpet when it is sounded. He also is a trumpet. He's like the angel that sounds his trump in the book of Revelation. He heralds the day of the Lord, or the day of judgment, the time of judgment, and gives warning of its coming, and appeals to people to repent. And as an ensign, he rallies the righteous of the world, those who do repent, to come from exile and to come to Zion where there is safety at that time. Verse 4, For thus said the Lord to me, I will watch in silence over my dwelling place, when the searing heat overtakes the reapers, when the rain clouds appear amid the fever of reaping. Now the harvest and the reaping and so on is the day of judgment in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah uses that imagery of the harvest to describe the time of judgment, when the wicked will be reaped and the righteous also will be reaped, will be gleaned. The searing heat refers to the fiery destruction, the Sodom and Gomorrah type of destruction that overtakes the reapers. And the rain clouds appearing amid the fever of reaping, you don't want rain to come when you're harvesting. 
Everything goes awry at that time for the wicked. Rain, clouds, cloud and storm imagery is also day of judgment imagery. Also, this gives a kind of a time frame of the year when the destruction comes. It will be the time of the early harvests or the harvest of the winter wheat. For before the harvest, when the time of flowering is past and the set blossoms are developing into young fruit, they will cut down the fruit-bearing twigs with knives and remove the new branches by slashing. When the enemy comes in and invades the land, they will cut down everything. They will try to destroy everything that sustains life that the people of the land will not be able to survive. It's a good reason to have your food storage at that time, isn't it? Because you won't be able to rely upon. Of course, the elect will have gone in the exodus, so they won't need their food storage by that time. Again, it gives a time frame when the set blossoms are developing into young fruit. So again, the time before fall, perhaps in the middle of summer, when the fruit is beginning to get ripe, but not quite there yet. And also, it is kind of an allegory of people here. As we saw earlier in the allegory of the Lord's Vineyard in chapter 5, the vineyard doesn't quite mature, doesn't bear fruit. The fruit rots before it ripens. The fruit falls off before it matures. Here it, it suggests the same idea, that those who are destroyed are like unripe fruit. They never fully matured. They never really fulfilled their potential. All shall be left to the birds of prey of the mountains and to the beasts of the land. The beasts of prey will feed on them all summer and the beasts of the land all winter. That, again, is a covenant curse. All of these are covenant curses. The land is left desolate and the animals and birds take over. And in a sense, this too is metaphor. Birds of prey and beasts of the land, the wild beasts, are like hordes of vagrants roaming the land, consuming whatever they can find trying to stay alive, feeding off what's left of a once prosperous and productive situation. Verse 7, At that time shall tribute be brought to the Lord of hosts from a nation perpetually on the move, from a nation dreaded far and wide, a people continually infringing whose rivers have annexed their lands to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, Mount Zion. So that nation that causes all this destruction that we've just been reading about, that nation who, in spite of emissaries that were sent to try to forestall or prevent the destruction through diplomatic means, and all of that failed, that nation that caused the destruction now itself is subdued and humbled. And those who survive of that nation, which we saw earlier, those who survive of Assyria, are a few, so few that a child could record their names, and they were the ten tribes of the house of Israel, that the remnant of that nation that survives shall bring tribute to the Lord of hosts, to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, Mount Zion. So those who survive of Assyria, of that destructive power in the world that caused the worldwide destruction, those who survive of that nation are a righteous remnant, the people of the ten tribes, in fact, as we saw earlier. And they will come to Zion, to the place of Zion, bearing tribute. The place of the name of the Lord of hosts is where the temple is, Mount Zion. So Mount Zion, or the nation of Zion, is an actual place, as well as a people. 